Welcome to A Retro Perspective, a video game podcast that takes a look at long-running franchises, one game at a time. This season, we're taking a look at Nintendo's flagship IP, The Legend of Zelda. If you're just now joining us, we recommend beginning your journey with episode one. With that out of the way, I'm Carly. And I'm Kyler. Let's get started. It's a dark and stormy night. A woman calls out to you for help, locked in the dungeons of the castle by an evil wizard. Your uncle heads out with sword and shield in hand, asking that you don't leave the house. Of course, you do leave the house, and when you find your uncle cut down in the castle depths, it's up to you to carry out his mission. A Link to the Past makes it clear from the start, this is a different kind of Zelda game. As various Nintendo franchises were looking to make a jump to the Super Nintendo, a similar design philosophy began to take hold. Take the established classics from the NES and do with them what you couldn't do before. Make it bigger. Super Mario World saw the introduction of Yoshi, a horse-inspired power-up that Miyamoto had wanted to implement for years, but the NES couldn't handle. Super Metroid pushed its genre forward with a map system, lush graphics, and solid controls. And A Link to the Past returned to the roots of the original Legend of Zelda, reclaiming the top-down perspective that Zelda 2 had abandoned. But A Link to the Past is hardly just a graphical upgrade of The Legend of Zelda. It marks a stark change in design philosophy from the very first screen. This time it wants to indulge in the setup that used to be relegated to the game manual. The extra textual story of, in the case of the first game, Impa sending you on a quest to save Hyrule, has now become part of the game itself. It's seeking to justify your status as the hero, motivate your quest, and teach you how to play the game in one fell swoop. This time it wants to tell a story. For some, A Link to the Past is the canary in the coal mine. It's responsible for what has come to be known as the Zelda formula, a story structure that would define the console entries in the years to follow. But before the formula was a jab, it was a success. So I feel like we had a very complicated journey with this game, trying to figure out just how to answer, how do we like the game? And I think we both had to do so much mental work and just sort of like cogs, like going through, like figuring it out because it's really confusing and weird. Cause I think we both agree that it's a great game, but I don't know how much we loved playing it. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know how you can use, you, you know, speak to that from your experience, from your side of it. Uh, I thought it was going to be easy to speak on, but it's, it's, there's, there's just a lot that's going on under the, underneath the surface that I think, um, it's just like, it was easy to be like, oh yeah, this is the one that, you know, it's easy. Like, you know, you look at the legend of Zelda, the original, and we're talking about it in a manner that's like, yep, it's just this game. But like, then you have to establish the relationship of link to the past to it. Like talking about Zelda two wasn't hard like this, but that's because Zelda two didn't care and it just did whatever it <laughs> wanted to do. So you're like, okay, Zelda two, we'll just talk about you today, I guess. But link to the past is like talking about like everything. It's like talking about what, Zelda has basically been for most of its lifespan. So it's like, how do you even talk about the game that that started it then? Like, how do you how do you start to look at it and break it down and then start to see it? Like, I think like playing it normally, it's like, oh, yeah, it's another Zelda game and it's a good one. But like when you start to like sit down and think about it, I was like, so, OK, so what what's what is this game and what is it trying to do? And 
the yeah. write-up took so much so work. So hard. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking like the Zelda 2 write-up would have been eh, but it's like, oh, I can easily describe and quantify this game, but I can't really do I that here. I did so much Googling. I went down like so many rabbit holes with this. Like I learned about so many games I didn't know existed because I was just trying to figure out I guess like the thing about this game is that having been people who have played like all of the Zelda games, it's really hard to walk into it fresh because you can't delete memories from your brain. Hmm. But even if you try to just experience it and experience the game itself, if you've played a few Zelda games, you could play this one and be like, oh, I know what's going on. So it's hard because you can kind of look at it as being like, oh, I've played this game 10 times before, but you have to somehow put yourself in a mental state as if this is the first time you've ever experienced it. And so as much as it feels like it's always felt a little tired to me, I just was trying to do so much work, trying to figure out the context of this game and what it was like to play it in 1991, like what this experience felt like, how much of a landmark it felt like, because now we just sort of take it for granted. And so it it just took a lot of looking at its contemporaries. I don't know. I watched like two hours of a Final Fantasy IV playthrough. Like I watched a lot of different things to try (laughs) to figure it out. Um, I started playing Zelda 1 again. So it's been a real, a real journey. So it feels like reductive to just be like, oh, did I like the game? I honestly don't know. Like it kind of just felt like I had to play it. And it was fine. And the credits rolled. And it was just like, like I, I, I said this to Kyler. I said, to me, Zelda 2 was homework. It was like math homework, which I hated always. <laughs> and I like don't really know what's going on, but I just have to get through it so I can like, you know, get the credit and call it a day. Hmm. Uh, even though I'm going to fail the test uh, when it comes up on it. Link to the Past feels to me like required reading an English class where someone hands you like a Charles Dickens book and you're like, I know this is good. I know this is quality, but this isn't what I want to do with my spare time. (laughs) Like (laughs) I have this book and I'm totally going to read this other book at night instead and pretend that I read this book. Um, But I know that it's good. (laughs) Like I can I can play the game and I know that it is a good game. I have nothing I can really say to be like, oh, this game isn't good. I just like don't love it. I don't really have a huge connection to it, I guess. But part of it for me is that this game is a little bit before my time. Uh, Ocarina of Time was the first Zelda I played and my first introduction to Zelda was already when it was 3D. So when I first played A Link to the Past, it was like, I think probably the Game Boy Advance release was like maybe when I first played it because we didn't Mm. have a Super Nintendo growing up. Um, so I just didn't have a lot of experience with this game. I'd already experienced other things at this point and I was never a huge top-down Zelda fan until much more recently did I actually start enjoying top-down Zelda because I was a kid and 3D was cool and I didn't understand the point of (laughs) top-down Zelda because I I didn't grow up with it. Um, I know for you, Kyler, you, you've really, as, as long as I've known you, we've known each other our whole lives. Um, (laughs) No, but I I know that you have always been a big fan of this game. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's funny, even just you mentioning our experiences of when we had, you know, when we've had these games, because, yeah, because, I mean, you know, we didn't, neither, well, no, by definition with us being in the same house, neither of us had a Super Nintendo. (laughs) Um, (laughs) True. um, But I have, I guess I have more 
maybe it's because I got to have more of those experiences with the Super Nintendo from other people, I guess. I have I have a lot of attachment. I have a lot of love for the Super Nintendo and the beautiful audio chip on that thing. And <laughs> anyway, I, I have so much nostalgia for it, and I love every piece of music, every good piece of music that came out of that thing. It's just so good. But um, even, like, besides that, I love, I love well-paced games, and Link to the Past is undoubtedly really well-paced, although actually on, on reassessment, it's not always the best. It's probably the start of the <laughs> issues of like the series of like, wow, tightly structured first, third, and then the fourth, the, the, the rest of the game just kind of throws you through it and is like, yep, here you go. Um, it kind of still does that, but it's just the game is already quickly paced enough that it's not like as much of an issue here. But I, I like well-paced games, uh, and a length pass is also very a very tangible experience of which when I use that word, it's just, it's easy to grasp and understand the mechanics, but there's a lot there to work with too at the same time. So mm-hmm. um, there's just a lot that's very like upfront appealing to me about the game. But at the same time, even with all that in mind, I kind of like the more I've talked with you about it, the more I'm like, huh, weird. This is kind of like a checklist Zelda to me in the sense of like, like go, yep, go get all the heart pieces, go get the items go through these dungeons in this preferable order because I want to get these, do this, 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 this. Okay, game done. Okay, cool. That was that was it. And like I enjoy my time, but like in the same way, like, yeah, I don't have I don't I just don't have like a terribly strong connection to this game. So I mean I, I also played it through the GBA port as well. Um, but I think we both did it on our SNES classic. Yes. Well is SNES. where we played it. <laughs> A little, yeah. little SNES, which is, is a great way to play it. Yeah, um, which is I'm, nice. I liked it. I'm, I'm not shilling. I just really like it's a It's a good experience. So. Yes. No, I love that little thing. <laughs> <laughs> I had it on my Wii U and I chose to play it on not the Wii U. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. So. I Yeah. Uh, um, I think. <laughs> I think like. The cool thing about A Link to the Past is you could play it today, you could play it 10 years from now, and it's honestly going to feel just as solid. It really is like such a good version of that game on that hardware, and it really doesn't feel old to me. Like I think it's something that has aged really well and is always going to be really timeless because it's just like, it has a really, really great art style that is super enduring, and all of the mechanics are really clean. They're not unfair. I mean... I don't know. Uh, this is going to sound like I'm bragging. I don't really think this game is that hard. I, I thought it was much <laughs> harder when I was a kid. And probably now it's because I've gone through the NES Zeldas that, it, you know, I mean, it's like, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get four bottles. Like it's, you know, fairies are everywhere. It's like, it's a bit easier. I think the game is very iconic and it introduces a lot of things. But I also think that To a degree, it still feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity to me, and it still feels a little flat just in sort of its world construction. Like, it is a huge jump from the original game, and, like, it adds towns and, like, all this other stuff. I guess just in the context of where other games are at and the fact that we have games like Final Fantasy, it just still feels, like, really thinly sketched. And from hearing the developers talk about the fact that they wanted story to be sort of important to this game, it still feels like, I don't know, I just don't think the world feels like as alive as it could have felt. I guess the map is really big and they were still having limitations of the day. But I don't know, I guess like my biggest thing with it is I don't think the game, the game to me doesn't feel very mysterious. It feels Hmm. a little two dimensional in 
sort of its execution, no pun intended. But yeah, it just doesn't have that mystery for me where I'm left with like questions I really want answers to. Like it feels really straightforward. And so I just don't really get like super excited by it. I don't yeah. know. I don't get super excited to explore and like find things or like learn about the world. I just think like there's more that could have been done with it in that regard. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I think when you just, I was trying to think like, man, how can I even describe this game and what it is that it doesn't, doesn't some like doesn't feel like it's quite there. And I think mystery is the best way to, to put it. It almost feels like even just when it comes to some of the exploration, it's still almost built in the same way as the original, but the map isn't framed for it. So discovering stuff isn't like, isn't really surprising per se. Yeah. It's just like, oh yeah, this thing was here because I saw it uh, and I went to it and that, was, and that was it. And it wasn't like anything really got in your way. Like half, half the process of exploring in the original was dealing with the trial of just trying to like survive while moving around Hyrule. Yeah. It's like and, how far could you get without dying? Yeah, exactly. So just trying to get to the place and just be like, wow, I discovered a thing. But I also like, you know, died getting there. But it's like I can get there later or, you know, anything like that. It just... There was just things that you could look forward to in that sense. And with the way like the map structure is designed, it's definitely more memorable. It's certainly more memorable. There's a lot more set pieces and whatnot. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. But the depth of the map itself, I don't think allowed or was really built around these secrets in a way that wasn't anything more simple than just like, oh, I went here. There maybe have been a couple places like, oh, how do I get to that? And it's like, oh, there was just a nearby bush that you break down, you fall, and it's like, oh, that's how you get the thing. And that was that was a lot of it. It's like, oh, it was just the door over. That that was it. And that's how you get there. Yeah, it that just kind of feels like once you've seen everything, you've seen it. And you see yeah. all of the light world so early in the game outside of like, oh, how do I get that heart piece? Oh, it's a dark world puzzle. And that's yeah. not like really, it's not like the dark world. It's not like you suddenly get to discover a whole new aspect of the map that like then you weren't able to reveal. It's just like, oh, cool. Now I can cross that gap and get this item. And I mean, that's cool and it's fine. But then the map is kind of reduced to just like, oh, you can get here and oh, how I see the thing. How do I get that thing? And then eventually you figure out how to get the thing. But that's still... That's still a factor of knowing the entire map at the beginning. And I'm not trying to argue that I think the game should be more linear and cut off things from you arbitrarily. It just kind of feels like it's so easy to discover everything from the jump that like, I don't know, the further along you get in the game, it just becomes a dungeon checklist because like you've kind of seen everything. Yeah. And like, yeah, I know you'll see more of the dark world over the course of the time, but like the dark world is just a color swapped version of the light world. So yeah. it feels like you're just kind of re-exploring the whole thing and you don't really get to access like new areas that are really interesting or have new characters or anything like that. So I just feel like it's kind of a missed opportunity. I don't begrudge the light world, dark world color swap because I know that's how they had to do the game for it to be able to work and just for like memory purposes so I don't have an issue with that I think that's fine yeah um it's more so just that like it renders the light world I think just like the light world is really uninteresting to me and the dark world in some ways in its color its construction in its music is so much more interesting that anytime I had to go back to the light world and I heard like 
in my opinion, a kind of boring rendition of the Legend of Zelda theme. I was just kind of like, ugh, I'm here in the light world again. <laughs> and yeah. I've been to the dark world, so now everything in the light world is easy and I can kill everything and I'm here for a second till I go back to the dark world. So by yeah. the end, it's just like, you know, the light world is just like, it's just kind of like, you know, ho-hum, doesn't really matter, don't really like it. You know, a lot, a lot to when it comes to just the pure playing experience of it. It's, I mean, it's, it's it really is as smooth as it can get. It's, uh, you know, basically what would set the standard for top down Zelda's beyond this point. Just great pacing, uh, good movement. Your attacks are just pretty much they work pretty much exactly as you expect them to, and they are they're pretty much functional enough that they're accessible to really just about anybody. It really does make for a much easier game in that respect and you know i was kind of sharing the same experience i remember i remember dying a lot uh back when playing this on the game boy advance and i remember being like always getting to misery mire and being like oh i hate this place but every time i get to it i was like what was the order for moving around this place again oh yeah you had to go to the north side north wing and then west and then east and then and then you're done that's it and it's just like oh okay never mind and as soon as i can compartmentalize that it's like well Never mind. That's actually not a problem. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. And then as far as the actual challenge of like getting hurt and whatnot, it's like, oh, it's like, it's just not, it's just not an issue really. And yeah, you can really bulldoze your way through a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like if you get really reckless and get caught up on a lot of different traps, you'll definitely be eating a lot of damage. But like for the most part, like as far as just moving around, yeah, you don't need to be especially careful there's just nothing that comes close to the kind of kind of toll that the just trials in the dungeons from zelda one yeah would, definitely would not take on you dungeon so. three dungeon three will test you <laughs> in, yeah. in zelda one <laughs> dungeon three does not mess around yeah. yeah i think a link to the past is a super accessible game it's aged very gracefully uh it's a great entry point for the series and like if zelda one gave birth to a genre like a link to the past definitely like solidified its standing and like really immortalized it um how soon here's a good question how soon do you <laughs> think you want to go back and revisit this game and maybe that's something hmm. we'll find as we keep playing these games that you know the same way i keep going back to the original maybe we'll be like oh man we have to go back to a link to the past but i don't know how do you feel <laughs> about that when do you think you're gonna uh, you know get excited and want to go back to this game yeah i Especially having played it twice in a row because I'm a fool and got ahead of myself and needed to replay it to actually gather thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, twice, I mean, that will that will do it to you for one part of it. But even even beyond that, I don't know, maybe I say a year and that sounds like that's a short time and it kind of is because I give myself a lot more space for other games um, or at least games I especially love that I need time for them to kind of flow out of my mind, out of my memory. But uh, yeah, with this, like... Maybe in a couple years when it's like, hey, I should probably go through all the series again just to kind of think about stuff. Maybe, but not as like, a, oh, I really want to. I'm just itching to play this game again kind of sense. More just as like, it's probably time to check out the, the series again and give it stuff another run through. But um, yeah, not for not for another couple of years. I don't know. I, Has I it been like diminished from this playthrough? Do you think less of it than you used to? Yeah, thinking analytically about it destroyed the game. Game's dead. <laughs> game's game is dead. Um, that's no. a, oh, that's gonna be it, it, next. Not not next time, but what two episodes has, from now with Ocarina of Time? I'm gonna be like, oh, the game is dead to me. I hate it. I'll never the play game, it again. The game is dead to me. It will probably it will probably kill Ocarina. Yeah. So it will probably it, 
Rip Ocarina of Rip, Time. Rip Ocarina Here in no, episode no longer, three, we're declaring it dead. Yeah, no longer evergreen. The evergreen has been cut down. The game is dead. So, um, <laughs> it is weird, but like, I think it's, I mean, really with any of this kind of analysis, I mean, you could do that to yourself if you maybe overthought it, but I think, I mean, you, you felt this, I mean, a ways back when you initially really got hooked on Zelda 1. After playing, you're like, wait a second, this game is really good. And then you came to follow up with Link to the Past, and you're like, huh, I really don't like this that much. And I was like, what? That's weird. <laughs> but then I played it, and I was like, yeah, this game is really good, question mark? I mean, it, it is. And again, like you said, it's it's practically timeless. And it really is. Like, there's, there's, really no, there's nothing that will really make this game feel antiquated. It will only feel like, in some ways... The ideas it strove for, it feels like it's outdone. But in terms of just it as a game, I mean, it's it is it does everything it pretty much wanted to accomplish for the most part. I mean, with that barring you know whatever limitations it had to deal with. So yeah, it's a great video yeah. game, and maybe that's the problem with it is that I, when I think about it, it really just feels kind of like a video game, and I don't I don't know how much I feel like there's more to it than that. Of like, yeah. oh, it's a great game, and there are other great games, and I can play the other great games. So, yeah, I don't know. Zelda one is like I need a certain mentality for to play it. But like once I'm there, it's like, oh, wow, this it's just ex- it's exhilarating. It's exciting. Yeah. You know, no, the game also just doesn't for, you know, for better or worse. And probably I think for for good reason, because my memory kind of ruins a lot of playing a lot of games for me because it's just <laughs> like, oh, crap, everything's a checklist because I know where everything is. Yeah. Um, and that's why I have to give myself space to play games again. But like the original Legend of Zelda, I I get to stuff and because stuff sometimes kind of not blends together, but so much isn't very well defined at times. It's just like, oh, this was over here, right? And then I had to come around. Here. Oh, shoot. No. Oh, crap. And I'm in a bad situation. So it's like even trying to do that. It's like you're still trying to fumble around and you're putting yourself in danger. And so I yeah, no, I've you know, I feel like I can come back to that game at any point and still feel like I'm re-experiencing it. Not for the first time, because I know where a lot of stuff is, but like really, it still feels fresh, whereas A Link to the Pest feels, I think like, I guess the word I could describe is routine, maybe? Yeah, I, I haven't even played Link to the Past that many times, and I felt like I, especially like the first three dungeons, I completed on autopilot, and it took me like 10 minutes per dungeon. It was like absurd. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, how do I even know this stuff? Because this isn't like, I I haven't played this game religiously. This is the first time I technically beat it. Because I got all the way to the Ice Palace and had the Ice Palace be like my last crystal outside of like Turtle Rock. Um, I emulated on my computer like a long time ago and then I lost my save state. And then I was like, screw this. (laughs) And then then I would try to play it and I just would never get deep enough. So I finally beat it, but it just kind of like, even beating it, I felt like I've done it before. It was weird. Yeah. I don't know. But I guess let's go ahead and transition. We've already, (laughs) this is a tough game. Like all the discussion is spilling over everywhere, but we can kind (laughs) of specifically talk presentation. And I I feel like presentation is something that we're especially going to spend a lot more time on with each game, because honestly, as each game starts retaining the same structure, like you kind of start to tell them apart with their story, their music, and it's like, oh, that's the one with the link I like, and that's the one with, I don't know, the ocean. The link I <laughs> like, don't like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's the one with the, the blonde ocean. one. I like the blonde ones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, that's neither here nor there. Uh, yep. 
uh, <laughs> until I talk about it in later episodes. Um, so the presentation of this game, I think it's really, really iconic. It's a huge leap forward for the series. And if you look at surrounding games at the time, it honestly has a really distinct visual style. Um, it almost has sort of a cell shaded effect because of how sort of very punchy and straightforward the colors are. If you look at other games around this time, they sort of use some like faux gradient type stuff and use sort of a lot more colors. Um, but I feel like this game is like very simple, but in a way that works. For me, it's not my favorite just because I think that it's just like the colors feel a little too primary for me. Like I don't really love the color palette. It feels very straightforward. Like the green is just so green. I don't love it, but I do respect it. And I think it's very well executed. And I think it's like totally timeless outside of Link's design, which I really don't like. I think for me, everything in this game looks great. Yeah, I, for me, it just uh, it just is. <laughs> I guess that's the best way to describe it. And it's not even in a bad way. It's for, I mean, like, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying as well. I mean, it, it, you know, it works. It works. It's, um, I mean, is there any reason really, like, bothering describing the technical ways that it succeeds? I mean, yeah, everything's displayed clearly. But, I mean, even beyond that, um, when it comes to, like, monster designs, the citizens of Hyrule, the inhabitants, everything, and the environments, everything, it, it, like, it works. And, it's it's good and it's very distinctly you know i love that even just three entries in you know we're still you know they still have maintained a pretty consistent i don't know if i say the word consistent but like it just everything still feels like you know zelda up to yeah, this point yeah totally it all fits together and it, it it definitely has its own identity it's kind of cute but it's i don't know i wouldn't even describe it as cartoony it's just like I don't know, Zelda has so created its own iconography that it's hard to really discuss what it even is because it has sort of this medieval thing, but it also like totally removes a lot of like 1980s, early 90s, like shtick to it. Yeah. So I can look at it now and be like, oh, this is such a nice, pleasant game. And like indie developers today are copying this game style and like oh, yeah. have been for ages. <laughs> yeah. Like still, like... You can see the trees from this game and be like, oh, yeah, those are linked to the past trees. Like, those are linked to the past. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's how or just the way that um, <laughs> I think this game, one of the really one of the really cool things that I admire about the design of this game and the aesthetics of this game is how, despite being a 2D console, they really take advantage of all the tools at their disposal and they create depth in their tile sets in such interesting ways that totally, totally did not exist in the original game. It, it technically exists in the design of Zelda 2, but not really in its visuals because it's a side-scroller, so it's just a different thing. But the fact that you can fall through holes, but more than that, you're climbing stairs and whatnot, like all of these things really make Hyrule feel like a more organic place. And it also is like a visual that pushes really, really great design. The fact that they're able to sell the different floors and the sense of depth, you know, just creates different opportunities for puzzle solving. And I think it's a really underappreciated aspect of the game that yes, it is a 2D Zelda, but it really introduces concepts of a 3D space and that these dungeons and spaces are really interconnected. And it does that through such strong visual cues, which I think is really great, really admirable, really smart. And it shows you that from the jump, you can literally exit your house and jump off a cliff for the first time. It's really cool. Yeah, I I really like 
the added sense of depth. Like there really feels like there is a sense of terrain to it, at least as much as they can do it. Um, they, they do it really well. Like most of it feels like it's all on kind of one plane. And I mean, it kind of is, I mean, cause that's, again, it's, you know, especially with top down, there's really only so far you can take it. Like even beyond this game, there really is only like, you can't do a whole lot with it, but they, you know, that's why they use different, different structures, different, you know, terrain, especially the mountains in particular to, to kind of make mark this, uh, distinction of, you know, different, different kinds of heights and whatnot to kind of you know, create a sense of space. So I really like how they do this overall. I really, um, especially when it comes to the dungeons, just as far as like their their layout and everything, the fact that instead of it just being like, oh, it's, you know, this entrance occupying one screen, like in the original, you mm-hmm. have, you I mean, you have the singular entrance with the exception of like one or two dungeons, but these, but they, you still get to see it like occupy a huge amount of the the you know the real estate of the of the screen that you're you're moving around on um especially since we're not you know locked to single screens but rather shuffling around a whole space you know you see these dungeons basically occupying a huge amount of area and so it really gives them like an impressive sense of scale to them that when you're entering them you're entering you're about to like embark on a huge challenge in that sense um even if in a sense what we're used to it's not challenging per se it definitely like every time you go up to it even even knowing what's inside having that experience it's still just like it just you always get that sense of like huh this is this is a pretty big thing to take on in a sense so it's i i really really like that aspect of the game yeah definitely i think my favorite place in the game is the lost woods before you get the master sword i just think it's one of those points where i complain that the game really lacks mystery but i think that that's one of the places that is really fascinating if you go there and you like you know find like the fake master swords i just think it's really well done but i also think it's also a microcosm of the thing about the game that annoys me because once you pick up the master sword then the fog clears and the legend of zelda theme starts playing again and it's just like i don't know yeah (laughs) it's cool that it changes but it's just kind of like oh i really liked that and it's gone now yeah and it's gone really early in the game so it just feels like i don't know a missed opportunity i guess for me, but it's cool that they do incorporate like the fog and the rain effects at the beginning are so cool, especially with like the different sound design, because as you go deeper into like the dungeon in, in the castle dungeons, like you can't hear the rain as much anymore. It's like details like that, that I think are like so smart and cool. Um, I guess they do that again at uh, the swamp. Yeah, they do. Uh, Actually, I was just thinking right? the other location. Right, because it rains and then you and then you clear it up. Um, and that's another. I mean, that it's cool that they do bring back. I was going to say, why did they not bring rain back at any point? I'm like, oh, no, they do, which is cool. I like yeah. that they did that. I was trying to think because I was just like, there had to be one other place because it's like they wouldn't just spend all that time on that and then not use it again. <laughs> exactly. Right? And it's like, and they're like, yep, we found a found an excuse yeah. to use it again. I was like, okay, that's, yeah. that's cool. And then you use the, you know, ether medallion to immediately put an end to that. And it's like, oh. <laughs> That's fun while it lasted, I guess. Yeah. Oh, so so I have a question for you. Yes. I feel like you probably know the answer to this. Can you explain the pink hair to me, please? (sighs) I I intended to look this up and I and I don't You don't know? I thought you always knew. I uh, I don't I don't know. I don't really understand why. I'm almost tempted to like right now just Oh, I'm doing it right now. Perfect, please. Oh, okay. Yep, yep, okay. That's. I think that's why. It was a palette limitation. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it has to do with the fact that his palate is shared in memory with his bunny appearance. Oh. Yes. That's that's why. They for probably for saving space, they well, especially because you'd have places where he'd change on screen and they wouldn't just want like if you get hit by those, whatever those things are that disable your moon pearl in the dark world. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those things. I, I assume the reasoning behind that was an efficiency thing where it's like they wouldn't want to just load in a palette. And if they didn't load in a palette, then the bunny, as soon as it showed up, would have corrupted colors, basically. It'd just be a mess. Or at least it just it wouldn't look right. So they probably just, that's probably what they had to do is they compromise. They're like, well, I mean, at least the rest of them is green. It's like, sure, but... <laughs> You couldn't have tried to <laughs> fine, I guess. It's iconic at this point, so it's, you know, it's what it is. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Well, that's really funny. Yeah. That's <laughs> what console you know. limitations do. So, yeah. Um, so <laughs> let's move on to music really quick. There's a lot of great music in this game. So uh, much, so much stuff that gets introduced. Uh, the Master Sword theme, Princess Zelda's theme, Kakariko Village... The Hyrule Castle theme. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot, lot, lot of stuff. Yeah. And the the title theme gets re, gets use uh, later throughout the series here and there in really subtle ways. So. Oh, cool. I did not know that. It's actually one of the more subtle, subtle re, you know, rearrangements out there. So it's, it's pretty cool. So, but there's also a lot of stuff here that doesn't get, uh, doesn't get really reused much at all or even is remembered much. Yeah, does Death Mountain, because it when I hear it, it feels iconic, but has Death Mountain been reused again? Um, I guess it would be hard to say, but in, in our immediate mem in our immediate memory, I don't remember it getting used. No, again. Four Swords doesn't count because it's yeah, Four already, Swords doesn't count. It doesn't it doesn't <laughs> count, and, ne and neither does a link between worlds either because it's you know for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um. No, outside of that, I don't believe that it ever gets uh, reused again. The the light and dark world dungeon themes. Um, oh yeah, and the dark world is unique. But yeah. the dark world being unique is awesome. Yeah. I'm glad oh, that it it's is. like it's iconic and it gets its one game and well. It's yeah. Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's great. Very very good and yeah, it really is. it really has only had its one. You know, apart from apart from again, doesn't count link between worlds. And yeah. I think uh, yeah again, four swords link between worlds. Just assume it as a given, basically. But apart from yeah, anything else... Yeah, they just copy the whole game, so yeah, it doesn't count. Yeah, exactly. So uh, apart from that, yeah, no, those don't really get used. The the um, the prologue, both the introduction scene in which you play in and also the prologue text scroll uh, introducing the the context for the game, um, neither of those, to my knowledge... Oh, you know what? Nope. Uh, the, the rain scene does get reused later. But the prologue sequence itself that goes into the just the full theme, um, I don't think, to my knowledge, ever gets reused. So, yeah, there's good stuff in here that that still manages to stick to just the game. My favorite piece is, uh, and I don't know, maybe one of my favorite pieces now in gaming or the entire series is the credit theme. Oh, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> like I love it so much. We're talking about the the staff role, um, not the yeah the staff the role. Staff the, role. The, the sort of fanfare oh. thing with all of the NPCs is like I don't know. I've heard it, that same fanfare in like so many video games. It works. But the staff role itself is like oh. um, it doesn't even really feel like Zelda to me. I, honestly, when I listen to it, it feels like Uematsu. Like it feels like Final Fantasy. Yeah. But 
I don't care. It's a beautiful piece of music, and when the Legend of Zelda theme comes into it, it just like oh, melts my heart. It gave like, me, it gave it's me shivers. So good. It's yeah. I I, I forget. That's the one piece. It's like a weird. Cause like I was like, oh yeah, the Triforce Chamber piece. Like I was like, I don't. I like vaguely remember. Oh, I, was like, I love oh, that one too. That one's <laughs> that one's really really good too. And you have epilogue, and I was like, it's just like. This this really is kind of the start of Epic Zelda in that sense, and this music kind yeah. of is the capstone of why and how. Like, I mean, even just even if you just think about the ending sequence of music you run into through the end of the game, you have the Ganon, you have Ganon's theme, which is later reused. You have the Ganon battle theme, also reused a couple times here and there too. Uh, both amazing pieces of music, and also very sudden because it's just those are the first times you experience them and the only places you experience them. So this it really mm-hmm. marks the scene. It's a pretty unique fight, and then you just all of a sudden you get the Triforce theme, you get the epilogue, and then you get the staff roll, all at the very, very end of the game, right after you clear Ganon's tower and rush over to go fight him. So it's just like it, it, ah, all of it is. Yeah, the ending is really beautiful in that way. Like all of it feels like unique, and like you have the 3D effect of the Triforce, and it's such a departure from the previous two games where. The credits in the end are kind of treated as like a, oh, you won, like, good job, you know? Like, it's very, like, childish. It's very, like, you know, it feels arcadey. Yeah. And the approach with this game's ending is, like, it wants you to contemplate. It wants you to see all these NPCs, make you feel like you've gone on a journey. Like, it wants you to feel, like, sort of a sense of finality and like preemptive nostalgia and it's trying to do something bigger and more grand and more artistic and i think that it's emblematic of this series going forward but it's also emblematic of where games are at this time and what games are like starting to do like a few years later you're gonna have like the opera sequence in final fantasy 6 like we're seeing games do things because they can because they can go the extra mile and like inject art into them and create things that are just like bonus. It's just like artists doing their thing and existing in games. And as much as sometimes I bemoan that and be like, oh, there's too many cutscenes. Like, why can't, you know, player control and all these other things? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's sometimes nice to take a step back and be like, oh, wow, like people are creating art in video games and like technology is allowing them to do these things. And that's really cool and great and special. And we should also enjoy it because it's great and it's meant (laughs) for our enjoyment. Yeah. So thanks, Koji Kondo. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's yeah. The just the the intro and the outro are really just the they really do mark the theme of the game so strongly more than anything Mm -hmm. just for, for what they are. But yeah, this is a uh, this is the sole work of Koji Kondo himself. No, um, I will have forgotten the guy's name from before. Don't worry, he comes back. Uh, Zelda two, so yeah, from Zelda two. I'll remember to, to mention him again when the time is right because he will return, <laughs> which is good. So this is very helpful and important note. Um, but right now, it's just uh, it's just Kondo himself, legend, and and good grief, <laughs> did he? It's and. Yeah, if you haven't followed, and I don't know how you wouldn't have ever followed Kondo's work, but if you haven't followed any Koji Kondo's work, honestly, just uh, stick around for the ride because this is going to get crazy how how Yeah, it's also such an evolution. Like, it's so next level in, like, creating really atmospheric music that also still retains hooks, which 
is awesome. And also just a great time to enjoy games music before we go so far into atmosphere that you can't find melody anymore, but also like you can enjoy better instrumentation. So I don't know. He's very masterful at creating atmosphere in this game and it feels so cohesive and it really, really elevates the material of the game. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I mean, when you just said atmosphere, I immediately thought light world dungeon because it's just, yeah, ah, it's haunting. It's haunting before it gets to its driving part of the piece and stays there. But just that 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 way it kicks off is so good. I know why, like thematically, why they couldn't just keep rolling. I mean, it would have been repetitive, but and it wouldn't necessarily fit the theme of the Dark World more. But I I wish the Dark World theme was as good. It works. It's it's definitely good and it works and it kind of is sit there to kind of make you feel unsettled the whole way through and like it's kind of intimidating. But ah, dang, those those early that first third of the game really does make a mark on you with the, that particular the Light World Dungeon theme. It's it's really, really good. So now we're really going to get into the thick of it with talking about how this game sits in context in the Legend of Zelda series, which is going to be a really huge discussion with this episode, but also moving forward because this game gives us so much to draw on. So I'm just going to start off with a little bit of math. Uh, my favorite thing. So if you must complete a dungeon after you enter it, the original Legend of Zelda has 672 different dungeon orders. If you allow yourself to leave after getting an item, the number is eight factorial, which comes out to like 40,000 or something crazy like that. So in comparison, A Link to the Past has 33 different orders or 66 if you count using the Pegasus boots to jump the gap in Misery Mire as a valid exploit versus like a glitch. So even then, you can't start playing dungeons out of order until you beat the first three dungeons. I think that's like the biggest shift for me here is you just look at that on paper that I think that A Link to the Past is a great game, but I think psychologically it feels like completely different. And as much as I enjoy the change in dungeon design, which is a huge, huge thing for us to talk about because it totally facelifts dungeons and revitalizes them moving forward. I still think that when I play this game, the fact that they put the dungeons on your map at all times and kind of spell it out to you and even number them on your map, it really just changes the way I want to play the game. And it makes the latter half of the game for me feel like a little bit of a slog. And I didn't even honestly try to play the dungeons out of order because the game was so upfront and like playing these in this order that I was like, whatever, fine, I'll just do it that way. I wasn't really that keen. <laughs> to try to explore and get around it. And I, I didn't have enough memory of the game to know where items were in which dungeon. So I would think, oh, this is the hookshot dungeon. And then I'd be wrong, right? I'd think this is the Titan dungeon. And then I'd be wrong. So I just was like, screw it. Like, I'll just play it in order. <laughs> yeah. It's a small thing, but I think the biggest mistake was actually marking where the like the crystals and like the pendants the pendants it's not as big of a deal because it's a kind of deliberately more linear section but when you get to the dark world like at this point you've already the player already has familiarity with in, in a general sense of the world they might have to learn the nuances of the dark world mm -hmm. and the way it's laid out and where there's certain restrictions and limitations but i think the biggest thing that not necessarily de-incentivizes exploration but rather simply just makes it 
like, oh, I guess I can just go out to the side and run around for a bit before I decide to go back to the objective is the fact that it's the objective. It's not like you're just like, okay, I'm going to run around here and, oh, hey, look, I happen to be exploring the area and in some parts of it some some of the dungeons the lead up designed in them is kind of like when you get to the area you're like okay i'm I'm definitely in a pretty unique area that seems to be probably near a dungeon but like with the markers there that i think plays a at least a really big part in why some of the mystery is kind of lost like in the dark world where you feel like you should be the most without any kind of guidance because it's just it's clearly really messed up it's a messed up world that's been kind of corrupted by ganon's influence that suddenly we have the opposite we have like a complete inverse from zelda one we've got we got probably more in common with zelda two now where suddenly it's like yep you got to go to here 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 and then you can do the big thing and it's like that's weird and even in the context of the story it's just kind of like oh, there's these maidens around and here's exactly where they are. It's like, I don't know, maybe there is some, within the story, there is some sort of explanation for that. But I still think even then, it kind of like, it. there is no real hunt or mystery to figure out with it. And I think that like searching for the dungeons was such an enjoyable aspect of the first game. And it, it couldn't really be an aspect of the second game because the nature of experience and just like trying to make it out alive already like kind of killed exploration just from a motivational standpoint that like you don't want to die. Uh, but in the case of this game, I just think that it limits some of the enjoyment of seeking out these places and trying to figure them out. And also it's like the world map is available to you from the first second. And I don't really like that either. I think the game would have been more fun if you could have moved around and like discovered things that way. And it just would have like left it way more in your hands. But the fact that like the world map is available right away, I don't really like that aspect either. Yeah. In a sense, maybe it's the response to, you know, how the fact that like a map of the original game was included you know, with the game and it's maybe to make up for the fact that the, you know, the map they give you is just a big old rectangle that's gray. And maybe it was like kind of the response that it's like, okay, now we got you a big full map. But at the same time, it's like, it's almost too detailed for what it is. It just, it's too easy to demark where like, okay, yep, I can probably approach and enter the location, this place from here. And I can enter these places from here. Yeah, you can literally like, see like every wall and be like, oh, okay, that's how you get around that path to go there and you do this there. Yeah. Like, you can read way too much into the map. The information provided should have been enough to be like, okay, these are mountains and that's a forest, but where do I get into it? And yeah. like, how can I get into it and whatnot? The question should have been like, there should have been a mystery to the nature of how to even approach these locations. And that's just, uh, it's really not, uh, it's really not the case here in that sense. And I think that, the, I really think that does detract a lot from it because I don't think the game I don't think the game is necessarily built around it. It's not to say that you can't have a full map, you know, because it's easy to look at that and be like, you know, what about the later games that basically just give you the map for free in that sense? And it's like, yeah, but like also there it's a nature of the of how the design is built around it. And, and I I feel like I feel like the biggest thing that kind of affects this game is it definitely still feels like it's built in you because it can't help it. It can't really help it per se. Yeah. Because the developers are operating off of like, okay, we're coming back to top down. We're basically building off of the bones of Zelda 1. 
you know, there's aspects that seem to be like, you know, trying to incorporate mysteries and secrets and whatnot, while at the same time trying to orient its structure more towards something that's a little more clear and gives it a little stronger sense of direction. So they're not really finding that balance of how to, you know, have more clever design in terms of hiding stuff and or like how to design optional content. And even like the whole idea of optional content in this game or just things that the player can seek out. It's in some ways they are, they they have kind of done more with it in the way that like NPCs are more prevalent now. They're, especially in the dark world, there are guys that can just kind of, you know, tell you stories. Unfortunately, it's, it's still kind of a misnote here, but it's still something that is there, is that there's guys that kind of help provide you more background on the nature of the world itself, the nature of the Triforce and also uh, Ganon himself, which they do, if I'm, I believe they actually mentioned the fact that his, he actually goes by Gandorf and was previously human. Yeah, actually. it does that at least actually, in the booklet. I don't, well, like, and you told me about that stuff, but I didn't, the thing that I thought was silly about that is that you go into these caves and you find like these creatures and they want you to pay them. And my experience with the first game was, oh, if you pay someone, they're just going to tell you like the next dungeon's over here. So I was like, I'm not going to pay these guys. And then you're like, oh, they divulge really interesting lore information. I'm like, well, I had no idea yeah. that, that was a thing. I didn't yeah. want to pay them 20 rupees. It's unfortunately easy to just kind of dismiss that, which even talking about rupees, they're not even, I mean, they're they're valuable and there's a plenty of good uses for them, but they are nowhere near the utter necessity that they were in the original game. No, and like they're everywhere. Like yeah. they're there literally aren't chests in the original Legend of Zelda. But here there are chests everywhere and you find rupees all the time in large oh, increments. Yeah. Like you're never really wanting for money ever. Yeah. So it's kind of a thing where it's like you're just like, okay, I don't want to spend money on this because it's just what gonna be information. And it like if you're curious, definitely you'll you'll do it and it's good, but it's a thing that seems easy to miss and it shouldn't be i mean i wouldn't say easy because they're they're usually located in caves and stuff that you're naturally going to be curious to explore it's just an aspect that it doesn't seem like it should be (laughs) easily overlooked and that's maybe that's perhaps that can be put more on the player than anything um but it is a thing that's there i think even just what i'm even trying to get at even recognizing that it's not really perfect in its execution i think they're starting to recognize the elements that it's like, okay, we can't just always give the player a reward every time they find something because some things aren't going to be substantial. But if they're going for world building, which is, I mean, that's definitely their goal. And I don't think they, you know, always do a great job of it. I think the entirety of the light world, like especially the NPCs in it, just are completely forgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a shame also that the Master Sword on top of having the Lost Woods music be just replaced by a Hyrule Field. The guards are basically always looking for you in Kak- uh, Kakariko. So the Kakariko, the iconic Kakariko music goes away too. So it's like, oh, okay, that that sucks. And I don't, right now I have less reason to be here now. So it's like, it's just, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that just starts to blend together or just starts to kind of fade from memory as a thing that stuck out as, as a point of interest and whatnot. And so I think there's a clear attempt to try to provide like a more like a player directed means of exploring the world in a way that's meant to give it more life. And I think they're kind of still working around with it, trying to understand it more here and they don't quite nail it. And I think that does play a part into why the world feels like it feels not as empty as the original, 
but it doesn't feel like it was meant to feel empty either. So, yeah. So, so one thing I really want to talk about with this game is I think the identity of the series is kind of, it's almost whatever you want it to be. Uh, there's this merge between Zelda 1, which is completely open, and then Zelda 2, which is really one dungeon to the next, very linear game, that to me, at this point, this series is sort of like a Rorschach test, where what Zelda is, it really depends on who's looking at it and like what it should be. Is it about the story? Is it about Zelda and Ganon and Link? Is it about combat? Is it about dungeons and like dungeon design over everything? Like, is it about exploration and having no real barriers to that? Is it about getting a item in every dungeon that lets you kill the boss? Like what somebody wants out of a Zelda game, even here is already kind of coming into question. And I think the thing that it reveals to me is that Zelda 1's format is really hard to scale effectively. So in development interviews, Miyamoto himself mentioned that the environment in A Link to the Past was meant to be interacted with more. So like one of the ideas was that if you light some grass on fire, the fire will start burning the surrounding grass. Um, and then there were some other kind of ideas to use, you know, to have multiple tools be able to be solutions. So there were like some ideas that there could be multiple solutions to different problems, which you kind of get with a club of Samaria where you can like summon blocks and whatnot. So that can kind of solve like a puzzle in the ice palace completely differently if you have that item with you, but it's not, you know, super fleshed out. So I guess like what happened is they kind of, ended up running out of development time for some of those ideas. But even at the time in 1991, Link to the Past like had a pretty long development cycle. Um, they'd been working on it for several years. It was gonna be an NES game and then it moved to the Super Nintendo. So that sort of bought them some more time. But I think with Link to the Past, we already see in video games history that when the technology becomes more capable, the workload actually gets bigger instead of smaller. So. In the case of the original, it had a staff of six people. A Link to the Past had 23 people working on the game, not including the artists responsible for all of the printed artwork. So, you know, knowing Miyamoto's philosophy, just remaking the original Legend of Zelda, which is like a fancy upgrade and like better graphics was like never going to be the choice. But if you look at what they, you know, could truly add to the original game with the new hardware, it's like, what are the options? And, you know, as you add more items and upgrades into the world while also trying to allow the game to be completely open, like it becomes such a huge design challenge because if you want to have multiple solutions to problems, then suddenly, you know, you have to play test all of this stuff. You have to figure out how it balances. You got to make sure that you're not soft locking people. You don't want people to get into dungeons only to discover you know, through them that they can't, you know, in the original Legend of Zelda, you could have moments like that all the time. You could get into a dungeon and decide it was too hard. You could get into a dungeon and realize you didn't have the right item. You could leave and go do something else. And the reason I think that that works in the game and doesn't feel like backtracking, at least to me, is because the game is so small and simple and the dungeons are so simple that it's not that big of a deal to have to go in and out. I think the overworld and the underworld feel very connected in that game. But I think with A Link to the Past, the way everything scales up, it becomes so big 
that like there's a hard piece at Turtle Rock that I didn't bother to go back to get when I realized that oh, I had to go into that one room and jump off of here to get that hard piece. I just was like, screw it. I'm not going back to do that because it's a time sink. Because, yeah. you know, it's tedious to go back in there. But I never felt like it was so tedious to go back in and get, say, a bomb upgrade in a dungeon in the original. And it's just one of those things that the game gets bigger and you start running into these challenges. The less abstract you depict the world, the more that you can feel and see the barriers. As your world looks more realistic, anytime you limit it, it feels like an affront to the player where the original was such a game that I'm not like, oh, I can't believe I can't go further than this. There's a wall there. I don't question it. But it just, it's one of those things that we see that, you know, becomes a problem and that I feel that the world is a little bit empty or that it's not very... It's, you don't get to interact with it very much, but then you run into all sorts of problems with interactive worlds where if I could burn down a tree, how is that going to break the game? Because trees are barriers. And how do you decide what trees are the interactive trees and which trees are the trees you can't interact with? Because if you can't interact with those trees, then it all feels like a video game. And you start running into all of these problems. And, you know, I think... The game's trying to stay true to itself and create rewarding dungeons, but it also has to lay down limitations so that those things can be fulfilling on their own. And I think that three-dimensionality in games will really change this moving forward because that really allows us to think more about physics engines. We start thinking more about procedural generation. We start thinking more about destructive environments, and we start thinking about games even more constantly as less about, oh, the graphics get better. And it's more about what can we do? What can we program? And what is the manpower required, you know, for these things? But if we're talking about a 2D game, you know, in some ways it's low impact because you can go in and you can create sprites. And that's, you know, in some ways less intensive than 3D modeling. But the thing that's nice about 3D modeling is you can rig up your model and then you can animate it and you can reuse it. But with sprites, you can't rig a sprite and animate it in that same way. Like artists have to create those different poses and figure all that stuff out. So as soon as you start adjusting the environment or finding ways to tweak it, then you have to go in, do all that work. Like there's the memory load and things like that. All of this is to say that I think that there is a unique joy to find in the original game because it is the skeleton of an open world concept. It is so abstract that it's sort of able to revel in all of those ideas. And, you know, you get to just experience the game and everything that it can be. And, you know, it's that game. It's like the developers are going to be chasing their tail, you know, for literally decades. You know, as much as I sort of begrudge A Link to the Past direction, you know, it's like the logical conclusion toward games getting bigger. And like, as the team gets bigger, the investment gets bigger, the development time gets bigger, there needs to be a clear focus just to make the game, just for the thing to exist. Sometimes, and we will do this, <laughs> we, we criticize story as taking away games from being games, but I think here, you see story as functioning as a barrier as much as like the wall at the edge of your screen. 
you know, the story is the natural way to create barriers in the game world and say, wait, you know, you can't do that yet. You know, wait till a little bit longer. You have to go do this thing. And it's pushing you away from something. So, you know, it's always seemed weird to me that Miyamoto, who has become so synonymous with being such an anti-story guy, seemed to ignore (laughs) his own work and push it onto Zelda, you know, but you know, story initially served the function for giving a loose motivation to the player and sort of the foundation for, you know, the artist to design the world. And here, I think we see how it serves, you know, as a tutorial and motivation, but it's also like a roadblock, you know, meant to sort of disguise the fact that your journey is being guided and you're sort of being ferried in different directions. So the game can be designed well and tailored to you versus you know, supplying some sort of deep and meaningful thematic content. I I mean, I completely agree with what you're saying in regards to that. Such a huge part of game design is really is like almost in a sense you're you're, by proposing a design, you're also creating problems that have to be solved. Mm -hmm. I mean, not necessarily that per se, but like, you know, you know, like ultimately in whatever you do, there's problems that come up against it. And what makes a design solid at the end of the day is how it answers those questions and as a part that makes game design so compelling and just, you know, video games in general compelling is effectively the way that it presents issues to the player and then gives the player the tools to work through them, whatever the kind of game it is. Games almost at their core, in a sense, are kind of a, a matter of overcoming tasks in a way. Um, they're not specifically having to be challenges like the NES days, but more just like it is more or less focused on overcoming certain things more than anything. You know, this interest in trying to call games experiences, but really there is, I mean, The Last of Us doesn't escape from being a game where you overcome challenges to get to the end of the game. So it, it never really, call it an experience if you like it. I mean, sure it is. And I mean, but all games are really essentially experiences. I mean, we're, it's not like we haven't been experiencing things here to talk about. So, <laughs> um, but I mean, that, that, you know, that's, it really is. It's about overcoming things in that sense. And so the matter of how that is framed is what it counts for in that sense. And so... A Link to the Past being framed the way it is, but also being built the way it was. It, you know, it simply just wasn't going to be possible. <laughs> Ironically enough, uh, um, on the on the stronger piece of hardware, it was going to be harder to address those problems when doing that. Um, abstractness is a really great way of putting it about why the original can get, get away with it, what it does. Because I'm like, can't we just like remake it? And it's like, well... Unless you point for point stick with all the same things, you I mean, you basically just make the same game again. Maybe you just shuffle stuff. But apart from that, it's like, no, you really don't. Like if someone wanted to make a hack of A Link to the Past that specifically tried to do that, it probably wouldn't be that compelling. It probably wouldn't work terribly well in that sense. It's just not It's just not built for it. Um, it's not what the intention of its design was. So Yeah, it's about ferrying from dungeon to dungeon. It's not nearly as heavy on discovering roadblocks, getting tools for, you get items and you can use them to get other heart pieces, but I don't think the world feels nearly as based on like using these tools to explore. I don't know, it it doesn't feel like a game. Exploration is a part of the game. It is an important part of the game and it's something you can do and you can stop kind of at any time and go into the world, which is great that the game doesn't really shuffle you into, you have to do this thing right now, you have to go do this thing, you can't go anywhere else. So at least the game is free in that regard, but it's not nearly as much like, all right, go figure it out. You know, there's a lot less figuring it out. Yeah. There is in the dungeons, but the overworld is a really missed opportunity, but 
at the same time, I don't really know what the solution is either. Right. There, there really shouldn't be any controversy over this anymore these days. Maybe back in like my teenage days, it was a huge thing uh, about it. I mean, I used to, I think I used to make a huge stink about it too, about linearity versus <laughs> non-linearity. Yeah. Um, about just like a Zelda game shouldn't be linear. And that's why I would hate certain games for it. But just like, like, you know, looking at it nowadays, I mean, it's a much more of a grayscale as the matter of what it is, whether it's, you know, <laughs> it's Final Fantasy 13 or, you know, the original Legend of Zelda, which I mean, it's two diametrically opposed games in that sense. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the framing is what matters at the end of the day. It's a matter of how the game is crafted that that's going to affect that. Um, honestly, games, and I feel like I feel like in some ways we're sort of moving towards that direction again, where we're I think we're almost dialing back away from you know from like excessively open world. Honestly, a lot of AAA games could really, really use that kind of just pulling away, not like a complete recession from it, but it's just like you know I'm I've more and more just started to recognize the importance of like structured designs versus structureless designs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think intentionality in design is so important. I think it's what, like, it's how challenges are framed. It's how mechanics are brought to use that unless your, your systems are so well built and the situations are so well built for it. I mean, it's at the end of the day, you're still structuring. I mean, even open world games, they're effectively just dotting stuff that they've intentionally designed into the areas around, you know, a big map that was, in some respect, intentionally designed, but sometimes never feels like it is. And so with when comparing Legend of Zelda versus A Link to the Past, you know, we've, we've discussed in that Link to the Past's problems with its linear design have less to do with linear design destroying the spirit of the game and more to do with the way they were framing the game didn't feel like they necessarily fulfilled what they wanted to do with it. I think its intro, and again, its intro and its, its outro, I think completely nail what they were going for, like thematically. I think it's why they're the strongest points of the game. They hit so well on what it is they exactly, like what they wanted to do. But when it comes to the rest of the game, um, like I, I can't fault, like I wouldn't call Link to the Past like a betrayal of the spirit of the original like I would with like Zelda 2 per se. Like Zelda 2, Zelda 2, its problems aren't, because people will put it down to like, oh, I just didn't like it because it's different. And it's like, most of my issues don't have to do with its system. Like, it's the the systems that make it specifically different, like the the side-scrolling combat or the, uh, well, the experience system is is arbitrary and really doesn't help. It doesn't, it doesn't distinguish itself in the way that an RPG does. Like, you know, the combat system itself in particular isn't really a problem with the game. I honestly think, like, especially because Inti Creates mentioned the idea, they're, they're a developer that helped out with the Mega Man Zero and ZX series. And they also did a more recently Blaster Master Zero and the upcoming sequel for it, I believe. I forget what it's called. So they, you know, they've been, they brought up the idea of that. I heard this, like I saw in an interview about this. And I was like, honestly, if they took Zelda 2, like Zelda 2's issues that the like exploration just felt a little bit like a farce. Like the map, the map in that game served more of a thematic purpose it was more just like, okay, this is the theme of what you're just about to deal with, but it falls in more in line with, it might as well be comparable to basically like the Castlevania map every time you're about to start another level, mm-hmm. um, except you can move around on it and there's like more to the aesthetics and there's like a couple yeah. secrets, but it's almost, it's, it's almost basically a, a tedious farce. level select. <laughs> 
And it kind of, it really, that's kind of what it is. It's a little bit of a farce in that sense because you're really just moving from one place to another. The challenges are framed in a way, in a sense that you're going from place to place. So they, they, they add, it adds a lot to the theming of the game. But apart from that, it really does, like, it doesn't feel like it adds much more than that. And so it's disassociation with the original. Most of my issues have to do with that, where it just doesn't feel like exploration was a thrust of its game design. It feels like it has more in common Again, which is most of the action games of the day, but with, you know, both with its own nuances in that genre, but apart from being a Zelda game, there's just, you know, there's really little to it besides the thematic stuff that it has in common. But A Link to the Past, by comparison, it doesn't feel like a betrayal. It just simply feels like a shift to where it's just, it's a natural change of what, you know, what was mandated from the design. Like, as the developers were working on it, they're like, well yeah, we can't just do this like the original. It's simply not, you know, we want to move towards this, but we simply can't because either the technology is still not there for what we want or like, you know, simply just because of the way we're framing this game, it's not going to play well, you know, because yeah, like with me, with what Miyamoto said, again, which does, (laughs) it does sound so strange. It's so foreign to hear is that just, you know, because of the way we designed the narrative and the story, the game has to be in service of it. Not to, like, not, you know, totally in service of it, but rather for the narrative to be effective, since that is our goal, we have to structure the game this way. But they still manage to, in some ways, at least understand to some degree how to make exploration an aspect of it, like the thrust of the game at the end of the day. And I think that, um, I think it helps a lot just that using the top down layout from Zelda one and actually like sticking to it to the way that that's like the way you interact with the world does play a large part in helping at least continue to reinforce that. And so I think, I think at the same time, what holds it back is both execution and also just its ties to the original. So I think the thing that we can appreciate about A Link to the Past is its dungeons and how it, really reinvents that. And you realize when you look at it in context of the first two games, what a huge leap that dungeon design really is. The game really does take advantage of the fact that it is a little bit more linear, but it has really dedicated design. And it's really something that has been created and crafted for you to enjoy. And I think that's something that we sort of kind of like get bogged down by now that we don't like to think of, we don't like to feel that things are being procedurally generated. Like we don't like Hmm. to think that things are just being spit out by a computer. And like, I know so much work goes into all of that. And it's not just like someone's like, oh, make video game and presses a button. Like I understand (laughs) that that's not at all how it is. But I think psychologically, we enjoy the idea that someone went to work and created those levels or, you know, like designed those sprites and, and did all of that little intricate work that when you play a level, you go, oh, somebody made this level. They play tested this level that I'm playing right now. You know, this is something designed for me. And I think that's something to really value about what this game prioritizes is it prioritizes creating an experience and creating a singular experience that's not nearly as flexible, but it's something that's really well executed nevertheless. And it takes advantage of the fact that it's a more linear experience by incorporating the items in interesting ways. And one thing that I will say that I really, really love about these dungeons and I wish was kept moving forward is the big key system. Yeah. The way that sometimes the items are really used 
to bypass things in the dungeon and kill the boss, but it's not necessarily always that way. Still leaves a little bit of mystery, you know, trying to figure out what the item is going to be, you know, like when you get like the red mail or the blue mail, like it's like, oh, what's the item in this dungeon going to be? And and later on in the series, you'll know what the item is because you go, oh, well, that's an item thing that I'm going to have to go get the item and, and then it'll do that thing for me. So, you know, you just you figure out the dungeon as you're playing it very easily where you go, oh, I'm going to need a fire thing to do that. So I appreciate the fact that this game obscures more of that. It's dungeon design. They have some linear designs, some very free-flowing designs. And I love that there are rooms you don't have to complete. I think that's a mm -hmm. huge part of the design in this game that makes the dungeon seem bigger, more fun, and also way more open. And like, yeah. yes, getting to them, unfortunately, feels like a little bit too much of a task for me. But when you're in them, I think it feels way less go to this room, then this room, then this room. It feels very open, you know, figure out what to do with your keys, where to go, where to run around. Sometimes it gets you into trouble where it feels like, oh, really? I need a key here. I have to backtrack and find it. But, you know, yeah. that's also just like one of the pitfalls of that type of design is that sometimes I'm not going to have the best experience in the dungeon and I'm not going to experience it the way you intended. But at the same time, I get to use my brain a lot more. The dungeon map still is relatively useful and, and fun to use. It's not the crown jewel it was in the first game, but it's not an actual <laughs> piece of garbage taking up space in your inventory, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's cool to see the big chest and go, oh, that's where the item is. And then you go out and you have to go find the key. And then you get the key and you go, oh, cool, now I can go get that item or I can unlock this door and all these things fit together. And the structure of the dungeons is still like, it's such a bummer because they experiment so much with the dungeons here. They really experiment with taking advantage of having multiple entrances, um, the Tower of Hera fight where you can die fight the boss and you drop down another level. Like all of this sort of multi-tiered experimental like dungeon crafting that makes me even think to myself that walking away from this game, is there one Zelda dungeon format? It's cool that from the jump, this game is saying, no, it can be anywhere. It can be in the village. It can be these things. It can have literally a connection between the light and the dark world in really inventive ways where you drain water here and then it affects the dungeon here or a piece of information you learn about Blind the Thief like in like the first hour of the game comes back to help you in hour 15. That is dope and something that <laughs> yeah. we should totally admire and appreciate and be like yes link to the past did that and they did that really really well yeah yeah that's that's good i hadn't really thought about that as much but i think that is really true they they were incredibly ambitious when it came to dungeon design on the whole um even just like we talked about the introduction of layers to the terrain earlier um but it's something that unquestioned like it might not affect hyrule field as much it has its play like it does definitely in a lot of places and it's used well like it's used well enough for what it is the dungeons are are nuts about this they're crazy how much there is to the way that just simply having a top floor bottom floor layer to any given room if, if they decide to utilize it and they do like 80 percent of the time 80 they use it so much um and it really does add a lot of like just now suddenly going through the same room from a different location isn't just a matter of, oh, I'm over here and there's a barrier from there and that's why I'm over here now. It's like, no, that's on the upper tier and I'm down here so I can't actually 
get over to it. Like the the entirety of the the thieves the thieves den, um, the first chunk of the dungeon is built around this kind of layering where it's like until you discover you're like wait how like the game subtly kind of teaches you it's like yeah so how are you going to get to that chest when you're on this like even if you're on the bottom floor and you're like okay but it looks like there's clear barriers in their way but then you they make you think okay but is this really just a layer you can cross under and the whole time you've already been walking around under so you start to wonder then like okay but can i reach another room from under here and and it's just oh it's really good. It's it's brilliant the way it connects these pieces together. Um, another dungeon, while it's really not my favorite, and what for just I think I I just don't think I like the theme like the the theming of it or just the general. I hate wall masters as well. They're terrible in this game. <laughs> so irritating. But the the skull dungeon in particular, just the using it, the use of multiple entrances is that's like it's like galaxy brain tier level just it's ridiculous it's uh just amazing what they've kind of thought of here to do and it's not the only dungeon that utilize. i mean even just as early as the second dungeon in the game they they have you know these these exits you can come out to onto the overworld and it really does make it feel like not just some arbitrary underground place but it's something that belongs in a space yeah and it, it just it just does more just to help liven up the game when it comes to these dungeons they really feel like living breathing locations um, and it contributes a lot to the games that have them set up this way. They have also a lot of what I like to call um, navigational puzzles. The original Legend of Zelda, like in very sparse places, had this. Most of it was just pure navigation. It was just a matter of simply understanding where certain stairways took you. And because the map wouldn't explicitly tell you until you found them, like which ways you can enter rooms. With a link that passed, it the a lot of the dungeon design. Not, not as much. I think I think it's done more, like, it's done significantly more in a couple of the later top-down games. But Link to the Past has, it's still in its own brilliant kind of ways, a lot of what I like, yeah, like navigational puzzles, which is to say, okay, I'm in this room from this one spot, and I know that, like, if I'm to solve this puzzle, I think I need to get around the other way. And the way the rooms are routed... You, you as the player, even with the map in mind, you still have to like remember the physical layout of the like the structure of these rooms. That by the time you get around to the other side, you have to kind of remember, oh right, it's framed like this. Therefore, I can do this, and now I can move forward with that. It's something that I think is my. It might not be everyone's favorite aspect of it, but it's something that I really like a lot because it's something that, especially because if stuff gets stuck in my memory, I'll just never forget it. But it's something that always manages to trip me up on a lot of dungeons that are designed this way. And I always appreciate that because it happens, like it makes it remain like challenging. It doesn't, it keeps it for like, it allows it to be memorable without it. Like just being lodged in my mind, being like, yep, you do this, 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 and that's it. It's like, you know, if you're coming in fresh to it or after a while, it's, it's just going to catch you off guard all the time. So I always, yeah, I think credit where credit's due. Link to the past when it comes to dungeon design is magnificent. Very, very good. You know, if there is one thing that I have to say about A Link to the Past, I would say that the game is just like pure quality. Like this, especially after the kind of uneven Zelda 2, I feel like <laughs> this is where the game built its brand recognition that, you know, there are people who are kind of on the outside of the series that have always kind of said like, why do people play these games? It's the exact same game 
over and over and over. And it's like the reason that people play these games, even though it's kind of the exact same game over and over, is because <laughs> it's the only version of that game that even really exists. So if you love it, it's the only place you can really go to get it. And because when yeah. you play the games, you know they're going to be good. <laughs> like, yeah. even oh, yeah. the weaker ones... If a weaker Zelda in our eyes is your first one, you're probably going to love it. And it's only when you play other ones that you might either be like, no, I still love it. Or you might be like, oh, I see why people don't like this game because these other ones were so good. You kind of yeah. like get sort of spoiled or like get way too into like the internal logic of the thing and like the community and, you know, all that They'll stuff. They'll fight over it in trash yeah. games. But even, yeah. even my least favorite games in the series, I'm like, well, except for... I don't even have any visceral towards Phantom Hourglass. I just don't like it. But yeah, that's, like, that's of, one of the, of other... the ones that I might say, okay, I can see why people might just hate the game no matter <laughs> what their relationship to the series is. Because uh, I, I get that. Get that. Yeah, it's still one of the few. But out, outside beaten, of but... you know that game, you know maybe like a spinoff here or there. If we're talking about mainline Zelda, you know that. It's going to be a game that has had so much labor poured into it. It's going to be a game that has been truly designed and thought about and cared for. And it's like one of those things where like, yeah, I mean, the Nintendo seal of approval, whatever. But honestly, it's a real <laughs> thing. It's 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 quality assurance. Like it's brand recognition. It is the power yeah. of, oh, I know that I can trust that this, you know, I go into a Zelda game knowing like exactly what I'm going to get. And sometimes that is exactly what you want. And all of that really starts right here for better and for worse. So let, uh, you want to move on to what do we remember the most? Wrap it up. Yeah, the two most significant pieces. Well, it's weird to call the most the non gameplay segments the most significant, but the most significant accomplishments in terms of establishing theme of of what i call epic zelda the intro and the outro are, are just they're remarkable they're really really good they're they're kind of like otherworldly in their level of of how they succeed at doing what they do and i mean I, that includes the gameplay segment of actually raiding hyrule castle which is awesome it's so good and again in battle and then then the of course the entire credit sequence and everything all of that is just that perfectly, you know, captures what the game goes for. And I think it's the thing I'll remember the most about it. I'll be I'll be uh, pulling up the credits theme a lot just to <laughs> remind myself of those feelings I got. It man, it really it left a left a mark on me even recently just to be thinking about that. So yeah. You know, it's it's hard for me to have a specific memory of the game just because of like how much it blurs into everything that comes out after it, I would say that I feel similarly. Like, I think the thing I will remember the most and the thing that has always kind of stuck with me is like the opening sequence, like the way you wake up in like your uncle's house, like the rain and getting into Hyrule Castle and like there being a castle. It's all just like such a cool departure. It throws you into the game and it's such like a compelling setup you don't need to know that much information it's just like spooky and it's mysterious and it feels like the beginning of something and it does not waste any time you know whatsoever like if there were any reason i would ever want this game to be like remade in 3d it would just be so i could have like the opening sequence because it's cool and it's not something that's really reused in any zelda game it's and i like that it's so simple 
And it yeah. really is the first time that we see the Zelda opening. And it's probably like one of the best ones where it gets you the sword, the shield, it sends you on your journey and it does it quickly, but it also does it in such a cool way that it, it's, it changes the status quo like right away. <laughs> it's like, boom, yeah. dead uncle, you're out here in the sanctuary. You got to go on a journey. Like, here you go. And it, honestly, the thing that's, it's all we need. We really don't need that much more than that. <laughs> we don't need yeah. to know every single person that Link has ever met in his entire life. We don't We don't get to go to Kakariko Village before all this stuff happens. We see Kakariko Village in the aftermath. We don't even get that opportunity. We, we know very little about the game going forward. Enough of it is just revealed in like, ah, the wizard's here and the king's dead. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's it. And like, look, I get it. It has to be become bigger going forward. But I think I'll just always appreciate how streamlined, but also still like powerful and interesting the beginning of this game is. Like yeah. getting to start the game with the rescue of Princess Zelda. It's cool that like the games that have been like, you gotta go rescue the princess literally starts the game. The first thing you do is like rescue the princess. <laughs> and it's like a real paradigm shift that this game is gonna be something different. And it, it, it is, and it will be going forward. Next episode, we'll wash up on the shores of Koholint Island. What musical mysteries await us? Next time on a Retro Perspective.